All right, if you guys have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. But before we get into it, let us pray this prayer together, and I'll try and lead us correctly. I know in weeks past, I have not done an excellent job, but we did do the Lord's Prayer today. So praise be to God for that. So maybe we can get this down today too. So pray this with me, please. Our Father, allow your Holy Spirit to reveal to us this wise picture of Jesus' life. Teach us to listen, consider, and implement what we see into the way we live. Let us see your kingdom anew, and let our desires be to seek and follow your ways. Jesus, we want to be your disciples. Help us live our lives for you. Amen. Now, when they had heard, this is Matthew chapter 4, 12 through 17. Now, when they had heard that John, when he had heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So if you guys can remember back to my intro in Matthew, I know you guys remember every single word I preached in that intro. I had spoken about the understanding of where Jesus came from. Jesus came back from being baptized and facing his testing or his temptation in the desert to hear that John, the one who had baptized him, had been arrested. And so he went to what Many would consider, at least to those in Jerusalem, he went to a remote district. Nazareth and Galilee are weak places of no real account in the Roman world, but God again uses the weak things of this world to shame the wise. Not only that, God fulfills scripture that he had written in Isaiah that this would come about, that this is where Jesus would have dwelled and lived, where the Messiah would have been and preached and shown a great light into. We can see from the beginning of Jesus' ministry that uh, the kingdom of God, the kingdom that Jesus is bringing, is going to clash with the current ruling parties. We can see it from the beginning. The politics of the day didn't have much room for this message of repentance and faith. They didn't have much room for us placing our trust in God's kingdom over against the kingdom that we lived in. It had room uh, for leaders to do whatever they wanted and justify themselves. But don't you dare call them out. We don't have room for that. You are supposed to fall in line and tolerate the leaders and their leading whatever they want to do. Their, Their actions don't have much to do with their policy and so they can go about leading however they want. And they wanted to control the area that they had, and they wanted peaceable subjects, and they didn't want citizens who were going to speak of another kingdom or a different way. And this is what God's kingdom is. It's a different way. And God's kingdom is one of love and truth. John the Baptist was put in prison for calling out the evil deeds of Herod. 
not just his adultery but uh, by his brother's wife, but all the evil deeds that Herod had, John was calling him out. John had the spirit of boldness. Not only can we see this in him being arrested here, but he called out the Pharisees. Who said that you should come and repent? The leaders of that district, John calls them out. The religious sins as well as the earthly political ones. John calls for repentance. For seen sins like murder and adultery. And he calls for repentance for hidden ones like pride and arrogance. John puts the political and the religious orders of that day on notice in such an uncomfortable way that they arrest him and he eventually gets beheaded. More on the beheading, we'll talk about that later, but it is enough to know that this message of repentance knows no bounds. It's not limited for those who go to church or say that they want to believe in God. This message of repentance is for anyone who is not as perfect and holy as God, which is all of us, amen? Which is all of us, a lot, most all the time, I would say. Now, Jesus starts his ministry and picks up right where John left off. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This message is heard from a a remote part of the world. The message starts in obscurity and in a place far from the power structures of that day. And again, in my introduction, I use the example, it would be if those from Seattle, we were sitting around here and we heard about the stirrings of a Soyuz Lake on the Canadian Washington border in eastern Washington near Orville. You might have to look it up on a map to know exactly where it is or how to get there, but you think you've heard of it, right? And you think you've heard of this place, but nothing ever great has come from there that we know of. And so why would we pay attention to that? That is the political and religious nature of that time. And it's hard to hear a message when we don't understand where it comes from. We don't understand who it comes from. No one has ever come to me with great news from a Soyuz, which I'm like, oh, let me pay attention to this. But both the message and the area from which the message were coming would have to would have to be kind of out there. It would just have to be this thing that was out there. But it was for everyone. Not just for the people in the remote regions, but it was for everyone. The ones who resisted the hardest were twofold, the religious leaders and the political leaders. Neither religion or politics understand love as a motive. They they don't understand love as a motive. There are other or bigger agendas at stake and if there is love it's love but yes but i've got some things going on like this yes i love them but you have to understand that turning the other cheek would send the wrong message to the criminals it would send the wrong message to those who harm us so we need to be strong on uh, reforms and in, in, uh, in criminalization and all that stuff or yes but I know that they're not moral or they've done some things wrong but they're good leaders and I like their ideas at least they have my ideas which I deem to be the right ideas or in church yes but holiness supersedes love and grace so that's why I need to come after them and tell them that they're wrong all the time or what about this? 
Yes, but you don't understand the economic impact that giving away bread and blankets and you don't understand what it would cost. Plus, if they really wanted to, they would just stop being lazy and get a job. And then they could provide for their own needs. Or, yes, but look, they grew the church. That must mean that God is on their side, even if they are rude and arrogant to no one knows them. Yes, but this yes, but doesn't understand repentance. You know what it understands? Justification. Justifying anything that they want to do, and that's what it is. So even if there's a little bit of love mixed in there, there's also a ton of justification with this kind of yes, but idea of our political and religious leaders. It knows how to work around all our sins, all our failures. It knows how to patch things up and imprison or demonize those who disagree or don't understand us. Yes, but is intolerant. Even if it claims to be loving, it's intolerant. And yet, with repentance, there is great freedom. Freedom to admit something that we all know. Admit that we don't have it all together. Freedom to admit that we don't have all the answers. Freedom to know at times you will hurt people because you don't always act in accordance with your convictions and your beliefs. And sometimes your motives are not, even if your motives seem pure, they're not always perceived as purely as you want them to be. And so in repentance, we have the freedom to get rid of the yes, but that would trap us in our sins and put us in a cycle where we're constantly trying to justify every evil deed that we do. When I had, um, and there is great freedom in this repentance. When I had moved back from Texas, I started having meetings with people that I knew I had hurt. I asked God to reveal these people to me and he revealed a number of them and I knew I had hurt them. There were a number that were like so obvious that God put it on my heart to meet with them. And so this one person in, um, that I met with in specific, I, I, was very, I met with them, I sat down with them, I was very specific about how I hurt them, why, why I did, I answered any questions that they had, and, and I was clear like what I was repenting for. I didn't just go into the meeting going, hey, sorry, I was rude. No, this is how I was rude. And this is what I want it to look like going forward. I honestly was really remorseful over the way that I had treated this, well, a number of people, but this one person in particular. And on so many levels, after about 15 minutes when I was done apologizing, the person asked, they said, are you done? And I said, yes. And they handed me a framed verse with Micah 6.8. And it says this, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. This person read this, this framed card. They read it to me and told me I am none of these. And they got up and they walked out and I've never seen the person since. I remember right after in this meeting, I called a friend. I was uncomfortable by the encounter. I was kind of shaken by it. And I was actually very, very tempted to just demonize them. Well, they didn't receive that well. That's on them. So I'm going to mock them. And when I get uncomfortable, I usually make jokes. and Usually they're pretty bad. So I'm un- obviously I'm uncomfortable most of the time. But I had a friend that I, I called and they would usually laugh with me. But this friend told me uh, the truth. And that truth that 
repentance, if you were really repentant, you wouldn't control the way they received or responded to the message. Even if they questioned you on it, even if they don't believe your repentance, it, it's not okay to go make a joke make a joke about this or take into account, uh, they said you need to take into account how deeply you hurt this person. How deeply you marred whatever it was. You, they, you broke their trust. And this friend's response to me was not um, one that I imagined, but the Holy Spirit said, you don't have to control this. You don't need a yes, but. You don't need to justify justify any way out of it. Um, you don't need to have pride that you thought your repentance was correct and this person just didn't receive it well. And it was one of my first lessons in what I call humiliation. It was humiliating to be said that told that you have no justice, humility, or mercy. Knowing at the time that if I planted a church, I would call it grace and mercy. And I thought that I want to be like these verses in Micah. And I realized, at least to this person, I am not. And instead of justifying for doing the right thing and repenting, I still needed to carry out this living repentance day in and day out that I was seeking to never treat people like I treated him ever again. Because the way that I treated that person was wrong and he was correct in his assessment of me. And it is humiliating for me. But repentance is far more freeing than self-justification. I would hate to know who I was if I just justified myself based on his response. Jesus begins his earthly message by stating that there is a different way. And when he states that there's a different way, he's inviting us into that different way. In order to live the Jesus life, the Jesus way in the kingdom of heaven, this kingdom that we pray to come, we need the freedom that repentance brings. We need to know that we are not all right all the time. We don't do everything perfectly, not in our thoughts, not in our actions, not in our motives. We are not always as pure as we'd like to think. And if we're being honest, we don't want everyone in the world to think or act like us either. So this is a good thing. But when we want everybody in this world to think or act like Jesus would have them think or act, and in order to do that, we need repentance. We cannot mingle our politics with the kingdom of God. No nation to have ever been or that will ever come has perfectly aligned with God's kingdom, ever. There have been and we'll be good nations and there will be bad ones. There will be ones that are more just than others. And, and there are going to be some that are awful, that don't even attempt it. But until Jesus comes back and we see him face to face and he sets all things straight that we saw in, in um, Revelation and he sets all these things straight, these nations, every single nation that ever will be, will fail in their attempts. No matter how good they are. They will not live up 100% to the kingdom of God. No politician will ever serve Jesus and his way perfectly if they're mixing it with their politics. In God's kingdom and his, his ways and his kingdom, they're different. We serve a different king. 
But we also cannot mingle our religion with the kingdom of God. We can't. We can't always think that the way that we worship and the way that we believe is the best, or especially we can't think that it's the only form. We can't believe that we have the market on pure thoughts with great motives. We get to repent and lean on the grace that is provided for us through Jesus' broken body and his shed blood. And we need to know that we won't always do this perfectly. And we need to walk in justice. We need to walk in loving kindness. And we need to walk humbly with our God. And in order to do this, we need repentance. Amen? We need repentance. And repentance is remorse for sin. Like we're bummed by it. It's not a good thing. We're not like sin and cheer. We're sin and go, oh man, not again. And when I say remorse for sin, it's both personal sin that we commit personally, that each one of us commit, and they're different sins to different levels for each and every one of us, but also the systematic sins that we have that are set in place that we take part of every day. Or think about the sins of ignorance. Right, The unintended consequences of something that we partake in that is harming other people. I keep thinking about the, what's being revealed about all the lithium-ion batteries and how we all have them in this room. We all have them, and then where that, the material for those is coming from. And there are people that are enslaved. In fact, I heard one commentator say on it, um, a social commentator say, that they're living in an apocalypse. And even if we're not, they are, where it's just bad all the time. And we get to repent from these things. Repentance is remorse for sin, but it's also a change of heart and a change of mind that impacts not only how we think and believe, but it impacts the way that we walk in our behaviors as well. It's not just enough to be sad for our sin or be bummed that we have it. And then go on living as if, well, I'm surely grateful for grace. We are grateful for, regret, for grace. But repentance acknowledges that we don't line up. And then we allow repentance to come in and re- allow God to change our hearts and our minds and change our behaviors so that we line up with Jesus and incrementally we get closer to Jesus in the way that he would have us live. We are taking steps towards Jesus through repentance. And these steps will take a lifetime of humility. Or let me say it this way. It may take a lifetime of humiliation. We never arrive until we see Jesus face to face. Jesus is constantly changing us. He's constantly bringing in his new life to give us. And this first message of repent is still the same message that we need to hear with our ears and our hearts and our minds today. And if you are repenting and believing in Jesus for the first time today, or you've been following Jesus for 40, 50, 60 years, repentance is still a message that we need to hear because we still need it to keep walking with Jesus. Amen? And there is freedom in admitting that we are not yet like Jesus. There's freedom that we can confess that some of our areas don't look like Him. And some of them line up more than others, but we're not fully yet there yet. And so we just keep on walking. We keep on with this message of repentance. This is the willingness to allow Jesus to lead and guide us with each and every step that we take. We allow Jesus through repentance 
to direct our paths. And we confess that we don't always know the way, even though we think we do. And we get to submit to that, to Jesus, and allow him to change our life and change our direction, change our entire course for our life. God's mercies are new every morning. Amen? And great is his faithfulness every morning because we need these new mercies every day because the ongoing mercies of Jesus work in our life. We need the ongoing work of repentance. Jesus is working in our lives to make us more like him. This is what he sent his Holy Spirit to do. This is how the Holy Spirit is leading us. What the Holy Spirit is leading us into and inviting us into. Repentance will allow us to look more like Jesus to this broken and dying world. Repentance will allow us to show the different way, that we believe this different way, a way different than the politics and religions of today, a world that is obsessed by these things, and yet we get to live different. More than remorse, repentance is more like humility because of Jesus, admitting daily even more than that, even through the moments of our day that we fail to understand what we are supposed to do, how we are supposed to act. And we need to be guided in the way of God's kingdom of heaven here in our situation, even this day. Repentance just change, doesn't just change our mind. It changes our very purpose down to the very core motivation of who we are and what we're about. And I pray that our purpose may be to follow Jesus at all costs. This is what it means to be his disciple. That even if this is into something new or out of something old, we get to follow Jesus. And I pray, oh Lord, I pray that we might not be so set in our ways that we can't allow for the newness that Jesus is trying to work in our lives. That, that his newness can't happen because we're too stubborn. Being set in our ways is dangerous to repentance, especially when the newness of Jesus is available to each and every one of us each and every day. We can be steadfast. That's what, that's what the scriptures ask us to do. But we are steadfast in our need for Jesus. This will never change. We need him every day, every moment of the day. We are seeking him so that we might find him. And as we seek, it says that he will allow us to find him. We are seeking him to deliver us from all our sins, all our fears, so that we can get out of our own way and follow him. We need repentance, amen? We need Jesus' newness in our lives. The motive for wanting this newness in our life is love. Again, the politics and religion of this world don't understand this motive. God sends his son Jesus into the world because he loves us and not to condemn us. Admitting that, that we are wrong and that we need help is freedom, and it's not an act, a shameful act. It's actually a beautiful, freeing thing. Jesus didn't tell us to repent because he's disappointed in us. He's not sitting there going, oh my, once again, you? Oh, of course you. No, he is not doing this because he's disappointed. He wants a better way for us because of his great love for us. His love is so great, such a great love that in this world has a hard time of understanding it. And as do each and every one of us sitting here. And yet we want to open the eyes of our heart, Lord. 
We want to see you. We want to see his love. We want to know this love better. We want to dive deep and live deeper into the love that God has for us through Jesus' life for us. Jesus' love extended to the cross. He didn't need to repent, but he did show us what it means to live selflessly. He lived out this love even to the point of the death on the cross. And we're going to celebrate communion in a moment. And it is Jesus' death that shows us the extent of his love. And his resurrection shows us the power that he gives us to live this new life each and every day that we follow him. So I pray, grace and mercy, that we may follow him. So I'm going to invite you up for communion in just a moment. But before we do, as you guys grab it and come, go back to your seats, we're going to take a few moments before communion to consider where God is trying to breathe newness into your life by asking you to repent in one way or another. So will you guys please come up and uh, take the elements and take them back to your seats.